A growing number of cyber attacks are now making headlines on the evening news, with some targeting critical systems that affect everyday consumers, not just big corporations. What is behind these attacks against our critical infrastructure, and what could businesses do to defend themselves from being victims? Hey, Max. Welcome. Hey, Erica. Episode 13. Lucky 13. Here we go. Here we go. So for everyday consumers, the idea of a cyber attack sounds like something out of a science fiction movie. But lately, they seem to be making headlines, driving up costs of goods like gas and making us all feel a little bit uncomfortable. Are cyber attacks really a new thing or are we just learning about them now? So cyber attacks are definitely not a new thing. Uh, they've been around for quite a while. There's, there's actually two types of cyber attacks, one that was actually started by the government. It's a form of an attack on another foreign nation. And the other one is, is more for financial gain, typically by criminals. Mm -hmm. And that's when they do things like ransomware and some of the attacks we hear about on the news all the time. Right. Those are really scary. So when did it all first begin and by whom? So obviously anything that has to do with cyber warfare isn't advertised, but we believe the first real attack happened um, in about 2005, and it was actually only discovered by Symantec, the antivirus company, in 2007. What? And publicly made known to the rest of us in 2010. And Why it did was, it take them two years to figure this out? Well, because it was a military or a government-run cyber attack, so it was obviously kept secret. And it was uh, actually specifically targeting Iran's nuclear program, mm. which back in the early 2000s, uh, I, Iran was advertising how they were building it for an energy plant, but the U.S. and its closest ally in the region, Israel, felt otherwise. They thought they were going to weaponize uranium, so they uh, actually infected the systems of their, um, of their power plant, of their nuclear power plant, in order to disable it. That's scary. And they believe, you know, they originally did it in 2005, or at least it's believed, a joint cooperation between NSA and Israel's cybersecurity command called Unit 8200. Uh, but it was, like I said, it was perfected. So there were se several versions of it, but ultimately discovered and made public in 2010. Wow. That's pretty scary. Well, I have a fun fact for you. You know I love <laughs> I know you fun do. fact. It is said that hacker attacks of computers with internet access occur every 39 seconds, on average affecting one in three Americans every year. The global cost of cybercrime was predicted to reach over $6 trillion by 2021. Wow, that's a lot. The scariest thing is that cybercriminals are so brazen. Aside from being there being many barriers, jurisdiction being, I would think, the sure. largest one, how do authorities find the actual criminals? I mean, if a criminal breaks into your home or tries to rob a bank, you call the police. Hopefully they are caught and prosecuted. Yeah, there's no 911 for cyber criminals. And like you said, they, they, they're usually not in the same country that they're attacking. Right. So there's always a jurisdiction issue. Oh, or how do we even find them? Where do you even begin? You know, when I was a little girl, I was in a bank robbery. I was super young, but I remember, and I was with my mom, and we were all forced into a back room and on the floor. I actually never liked being in a bank, 
as I was growing up, and I truly never connected it until I was older. Is that why you always send me to the <laughs> bank to get cash out you know or to this. the ATM you know, machine? It's a sensitive <laughs> subject. But the event stayed with me, and the criminal was later shot by the police during another robbery, and the story goes on. But I always remind myself that he's gone, and I'm okay. The experience stays with me, but I'm safe. Of course. I think that cybercrime has a totally different effect on people. You know, there's just, it's just as traumatizing, but it's a complete violation and possible destruction of people's lives. Often there's no justice whatsoever. There's, there's often no justice at all. They steal your identity or cause financial damage. It's, it's not just that moment as horrible as that moment was for you. It's not just that moment. It's, it's years of repairing the damage after the fact. Right. So this might sound like an obvious question, but what is the purpose of an attack? I mean, what's the point of trying to take down a system or a service? Well, I think it really depends on who's doing the attack. Um, if it's a government entity, it's usually to defend uh, your, you know, your country um, or to disable someone else from trying to commit damage elsewhere around the world. So typically when it's when it's government driven, yeah. it's to protect that you know, that specific democracy or that specific country. The bad part there is because, you know, you go down the road of having um, a military unit to do cyber attacks. That means every other country you're attacking does the same. So today you've got these military units around the world, each with thousands and thousands of coders that, that essentially are just there to attack each other all day long and to try to find holes in each other's security. So that's more on the kind of political government front. The other is purely for financial gain. So there's a price for everything that you can steal online, whether it be a credit card or a ransomware attack like we saw in the news right. when the gas company was shut down yeah. because they had older software. And until they paid up, they they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't allow them to use the systems again. And that creates a lot of disruption. Um, in that company's business. So right. in that case, it's it's purely for financial gain. And panic. I mean, don't you remember even people around here heard of this and it had nothing to do. It was never going to affect locally, but people sure. were running to get gas and trying to fill up their tanks because they didn't want the prices to go up. Well, I think when it's for financial gain, it only helps the criminal because if everyone's in a panic, of course, there's more political pressure and right. consumer pressure on that company to just say, Hey, pay up. And by the way, these criminal organizations, you, know, you can't think of them as common criminals. They're so sophisticated that in that specific attack, uh, they actually knew what the insurance policy was for that gas company. Wow. And they asked for about a million dollars less than the policy. So they knew huh. that it was still worth it for them to pay versus go into insurance and having them try to negotiate a settlement with them. So Very it's pretty strategic. sophisticated. They get into everything. They get into all your files. They learn everything about you. That's so it's, so it is pretty sophisticated, even though it is ultimately just for money. So what about AI? And we've talked about AI many times. Is that something that's used today to either initiate a cyber attack or defend one with it? It's actually used for both. And it's almost a little bit scary. I've, I've spoken to, to, to multiple cybersecurity experts over the years. A lot of them actually worked on the government side. And the way they always described it to me is you have to think of AI bots uh, fighting other AI bots. We're constantly 
learning from cyber attacks using AI and then perfecting how we counter attack. Um, and, and the other side, the enemy, is doing exactly the same thing. So ultimately, you've got these two computers that are fighting each other and getting smarter and smarter all the time, which is, I know yeah. it's scary stuff, but this goes on every single day It uh, is behind scary. the scenes. It's scary. It's like what they did in that 80s movie that you love was, what's it called? War Games? Oh yeah, War Games. Do you, do you remember the computer they had? The no. Whopper? No. I always remember the Whopper. I don't. I War think Operation I was, Plan Response, the Whopper. I think I wasn't old enough. <laughs> you, you may not have been old enough, but the whole concept was very cool because it was a computer that was, it was war games. It was essentially playing a game against itself to become smarter, that it was using AI to perfect its moves. It was actually using something as simple as chess or checkers yeah. to try to figure out the best strategy. But that's really what goes on in cyber attacks today. These AI computers are just learning and becoming better and smarter with every attack. If security systems are based on data and passwords and photos, even biometrics, which include face, voice, fingerprint, iris recognition, those are all data too. So isn't it possible that AI can simulate all of that data and generate a cyber attack? So the answer is yes, uh, but it's not as simple as, you know, any hacker anywhere around the world can emulate all this type of data in order to be able to, to achieve an attack. It's more about you need the compute power and you need the staff that an enemy state would have. So you'd really need to be a government. You can't really be an individual or a group of hackers because the amount of data of what you just described yeah. is so overwhelming that you essentially need an entire army to figure out how to replicate all those little pieces. And in many cases, even in that first cyber attack that I talked about back in 2005, they needed to use intelligence operatives because that nuclear power plant was on a closed network. So there was no way for them to get to the plant. So they used intelligent operatives and they figured out a way to get contractors, laptops infected with the virus and then pass it onto the network. So it's, it's a little bit more complicated than just, hey, I can figure out what your password is and take my hack your phone. Yeah, get into the all those other components uh, in order to be able to achieve an attack in that format. Isn't that why a lot of companies, iPhones, smartphones, laptops are using two factors to authenticate a person's identity? Yes, it's another layer. So it's one more step that a hacker would need to figure out how to overcome in order to uh, get into you know any device or smartphone or laptop for the user. So two-factor authentication is great. It's not biometrics though, so you're still just kind of getting one more step of of validation. Why wouldn't it be biometrics? You had to use your thumbprint to get into your if, phone. If your phone was set to thumbprint, but if it wasn't, it was just set to password. It could still be right. one of those two. Two-factor authentication It does that weird steps. thing, like, do you want me to send you a text or an email? And it's exactly. never the right number that I wanted to send. Exactly. It to. And it's, it's really more about making it more difficult. It's not foolproof, but it makes it a lot more difficult uh, for someone to actually be able to break into your information. Biometrics are not used for data protection. Biometrics are used for identification and authorization. Do you remember that movie, Minority Report? And to oh, avoid yeah. detection, Tom Cruise's character got an eyeball implant. 
And then he carries the original eyeballs around in a plastic bag. How gross is that? that first of all, that's very gross. I don't know <laughs> if that would actually work you don't in a real so? world. So I think like it's a living organism. Like, I don't know how you take the eyeball out and somehow it replicates. Yeah, I think and it was a surgical procedure. I think, I think, yeah, maybe in the case of Tom Cruise in a movie, <laughs> I'm not sure that would work in real life. So don't go and borrow anybody's eyeballs ew, to try to get ew. into no. their access. A new <laughs> class of algorithms known as GANs, Generative Adversarial Networks, a machine learning model where two networks compete with each other to become more accurate in their predictions, essentially creating their own trading data. They're also typically run unsupervised. These networks can imitate or simulate any distribution of data, including biometric data. They can produce high-quality password guesses. They even launch a fingerprint attack. Yeah, that's crazy. I think our kids pulled something up on TikTok. Yes. It was like a video of Tom Cruise or something that looked exactly like yes. Tom Cruise. Yeah, Gans are what create fake media. Remember what that... Obama video years ago it was created by Jordan Peele and BuzzFeed, and it created fake videos of people saying or doing things that did or they didn't ever actually say. Like this Obama speech, he had never said anything that it looked like he was giving the actual speech. Yeah, it's that is pretty scary stuff when they start to emulate people when the software gets that good. That's very scary. But I have an idea. I've been thinking okay. we should have these GANs create an entire panel that you're not really speaking on, Max, and you're not really there, including a Q&A session afterward, and you won't ever have to travel again. You know what? Now you're really thinking because like that's it. a real use for the GAN. Yeah. I'd like to like, like mimic myself across three or four different sure. photocopies and be able to... Uh, Beat all these events at the same time and never leave my home. I mean, wouldn't that, that would be, be so nice? Cool. That that would be amazing. So what are specific actions that companies or governments are taking to protect themselves from future attacks? Well, I think the most important is that consistent investment in cybersecurity systems um, and software. What what you have to remember is, and not to scare you or anybody <laughs> you else, but it like it's a it's a war. I mean, there's a oh, war that goes on every day for hackers and government entities and cybersecurity specialists trying to keep us from getting hacked. You, you only hear about the ones that actually penetrate, but it, it never ceases. It happens all the time. And like I said, it's happening from AI-based right. computer systems that are just getting smarter and better. So you can't get lax on investment in those systems. Uh, you have to take it very seriously because it could literally uh, immobilize an entire country, and it could certainly from a corporate perspective, shut down a business. If cybercrime is the greatest threat to companies and globally, as I said, total costs from these crimes have reached over $6 trillion by the end of this year, why wouldn't every company have a cybersecurity incident response plan? Well, I think like we talked about earlier, that gas company example, it wasn't because they didn't want to respond to it. It's because the systems they have in place that run their business day in and day out are simply aged. And it's not a simple one thing, you know, I've learned over the years, if you start a brand new company right now and you, you put in the latest and greatest software, your probability of getting attacked is, is relatively low because it's not that complicated to protect the system and upgrade the system. But if you've got systems that are running, you know, the example we use is your 
on a plane, you know, going 500 miles an hour and you need to do an oil change. That's kind of similar yeah. to trying to upgrade an aging system uh, that's in production, that's actually running the, the business day in and day out while still protecting it from external threats. So it's not easy if the software is so, um, so ancient or just the entire system needs to be ripped out and replaced. There's no way to put in some type of a secondary system to protect it. Well, many industries are very specialized. So you'd have to essentially create a new version of a specialized system. It's typically a big financial investment. So I go back to invest in cybersecurity. It's going to save your business. If you don't invest, it's only a matter of time yeah. before you'll get attacked. So I often wonder why we don't focus on preventative measures, be it in business, healthcare, and data security. I feel like we've talked about this as well. Why is it that most companies can take nearly six months to detect a data breach? For example, Capital One and Facebook, remember their passwords, social security numbers, and credit card details were often already compromised by the time us, the consumers, are even notified. I would think it would be more prudent for companies, especially now post-pandemic, where workplace trends are continuously changing to be more proactive in protecting their infrastructure. Yeah, well, you have to remember that uh, cyber attacks or cyber worms are very complex. Even back to the one I gave the example of in 2005, it infected this central system in a nuclear power plant, and it did nothing for years. It just sat there and it learned. So it's very, very difficult to detect unless something happens, something actually occurs, whether they're government-launched uh, attacks or criminal-based attacks. The way they infect these systems, the first thing they do is they just sit there and learn and collect information, collect all the credit card information in the case of a bank. It's only when it's transmitted externally, when it's stolen, that the bank or Facebook or anyone else first notices something that's out of the ordinary. And that's why it takes so long for them to react because it, you know, potentially any system you have today, whether it be a cell phone or a laptop, could have uh, infected malware sitting in it right now that you think is completely innocent. I mean, they've found malware inside some of the most popular apps that people download over the really? last five years, at least one small piece of malware that's a backdoor for a hacker to get in and slowly start to learn and then get your information. But really, why is there nothing that's able to recognize something that's coming into the system, even if it's just staying there and it's not doing anything. Because for that to happen, we'd have to allow a major entity like a government to monitor all networks. And that's kind of the balance between living in a democracy where we don't want to be monitored and having the protection of a military side or a government side that can actually scrub every piece of data and information and say, this is safe or this isn't infected right. with any kind of malware. In other countries, I'm sure it's a little different. I've been reading a lot about a new term called zero trust networks or ZTNAs. ZTNAs add another layer of security independent of the network. So on the IT side, each device is verified and validated before giving access to an app or a resource. I try to stay informed in all this tech lingo, Mac. 
you know, I like to keep our dinner conversation spicy. Yeah, this is very spicy stuff. With that, I wondered if VPNs or virtual private networks will be phased out and ZTNA's zero trust networks will become more popular, giving a company more control over what employees can access with companies moving to a more cloud-based and mobile workforce. Well, it's possible that zero trust could eliminate some of the tools we have in place like VPNs today. But for now, I think it's I think of it as just another layer. I think of as a very important layer, kind of like two-factor authentication, <laughs> right? That we talked about earlier. Right. So now you're not just authenticating by putting in a username or password. It's sending a text to your phone and saying, somebody just tried to get into your account. Is this really you? Right. Then we have VPNs or virtual private networks is now we're privatizing the data. So we're not making it accessible to everyone. Right. So like when an employee comes in to work for you, they are only given access on a need to know basis. What what do they need to access? And right. otherwise it's it's cut off. They can't get to anything else. Right. But I think in zero trust, it takes it even a step further. It's actually validating in, in a higher level that it is the actual machine and person that needs to access the data. So it's not just someone has my credentials and figured out how to hack around the second factor. Yeah. Now it actually knows the uh, serial number of the laptop that I'm using that was issued to me by the organization. And it's only letting that laptop with my credential access that application. So that's the concept of zero trust, basically saying, we're not going to trust anything that you put right. on this network. So we're going to need to individually validate each of those components, whether it's an IoT device or a laptop or a smartphone or anything else for that matter. So it seems redundant to have both. I mean, wouldn't the zero trust just invalidate the VPN? Not necessarily. Uh, because zero trust also requires certain pieces of information to be able to be validated on the network. Now, remember, not everything that has a connection has a processor or is able to take software. You know, it could be a very simple uh, temperature gauge that's being monitored in a hospital, for example. It doesn't have a lot of brains in that specific device. So now it needs to have some basic parameters. And, and if we can't achieve those, connecting that device to a virtual private network or a VPN is the most secure way of getting it connected back to its host without someone trying to hack into it. Huh. I mean, Zero Trust has actually been around for years, if I'm correct. Didn't Gartner start using the term back in 2010? So why now? So I think everything is about having solutions in place, as well as having a necessity. The solution from a Gardner perspective, Gardner is a very forward-looking entity. So they start talking about technology that people are really just starting to code and build towards. The difference is today we've got real great zero trust solutions that are commercially available. And we also have this urgent need because more and more organizations across just about every industry are getting hacked. So they right. need better, stronger security systems. And the pandemic and constantly evolving Absolutely. workforces have pushed companies, I would think, to increase their cybersecurity more than ever. A hundred percent. It's been such a massive issue that we've actually noticed organizations disallowing users to use their own home Wi-Fi and having really? them only use 5G access issued by the company 
to make sure that there's no application coming in off of their Wi-Fi that can go back and infect the corporate network. So it is a massive issue, and it's actually being addressed in a variety of different ways, one through zero trust security uh, software and services, and the other is by privatizing the networks that uh, these employees use from their homes by telling them something as crazy as stop using your Wi-Fi. So what do they do in that situation? They issue them a private connection from the corporation, typically a a 5G connection that's a private 5G connection back to the corporation. So they'll use either their 5G phones and tether it with their laptops, or they typically give them dedicated little MiFi's, 5G MiFi's, little what we used to call hockey pucks to connect back to the laptop and use that as a private connection. That's really cool. Well, that brings us to game time. In honor of the 2020 season kickoff of the NFL. Hi, I'm sorry. We're 2021. (laughs) (laughs) In honor of the 2021 season kickoff of the NFL and our own fantasy football league, I would like you to draft Three items that I have selected for you. First, second, and third pick based on what you know and feel about each. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Number one, Power Beats Pro Earphones. These are made for movement, adjustable, secure fit ear hooks, up to nine hours of listening time, balanced sound, dynamic range, and noise isolation, Bluetooth connectivity with improved speed and extending range, Android compatible... Thank God. The newest beats out since the Apple takeover, delivering numerous advantages over Apple's more simple AirPods. Don't tell your daughter. (laughs) As its largest price tag, it would have been nice if they had wireless charging built in. But okay. (laughs) Number two, Google Pixel 5 phone. The ultimate 5G Google phone with dual cameras, wireless charging, great battery life, water resistant, where most top-of-the-line phones from companies cost close to over $1,000, the Pixel 5 comes in at a more affordable $699. Nice. Based on speculation, the Pixel 6 will arrive in October. But Max, as we have talked about before, the chip shortage could delay this release. (laughs) And number three, the Lenovo P17 mobile workstation, laptop with durability, high-grade processor made for engineers, IT pros, and power users, often referred to as the beast with anti-glare screen, high-resolution display, low lag time, and plenty of ports. It truly puts out serious performance. Let's go. Who's your first draft pick? All right. So for my... First draft pick of the 2021 (laughs) Fantasy League season. I'm going to go with the Google Pixel 5 Ah. and hope that somehow it turns into a Google Pixel 6 because I've heard great things about the 5, even though I haven't used it myself. And I Is that the one that closes in half? No, you're talking about... (laughs) Because you're right. I would have mentioned that. Yeah, I kind of really like that one. The... Not not the flip, the fold on that one. I won't men- it just mention the manufacturer. It. But I mean, you could technically No, no, no. It's a totally it. different totally different phone. <laughs> but but for your it. choices, I will go first draft pick, 
the Google Pixel. Wait, don't we have to do that music? What's the music? Dun, 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 dun. What is that music <laughs> that I get in my Oh, yeah, the, the draft. Time? I think that's it. You should just keep doing that. All right. <laughs> So that's my that's my first draft and pick. And your second draft pick? I think for my second draft pick, I'm going to go with the headphones. Just because you can never have enough really well, great earphones because they don't go over your head, they go into your ear and I like around. that. I could use that for working out. Okay. So I'm I'm going with I'm going with the Beats and the third make a good draft product. pick, which is okay. This is a very sensitive topic. I get into these arguments with my own IT team all the time because they would love for me to take either a Lenovo or a Dell. And mm -hmm. that Lenovo is actually a beast. It is. It is a powerhouse. However, I'm going to pick it third because as you know, I live and die by my MacBook Pro, <laughs> which never fails me no matter what in any situation. So, but, but the Lenovo is supposed to be a, uh, a real, you know, a real superpower. So, I'll I'll pick it. It's used. It's for power users. <laughs> it's it's for it's for power users, uh, like me. But I'm still gonna go with my MacBook Pro. So I'm giving it the third pick. All right, good choice. Good team. Good team. I I see you have a good. <laughs> As my son says all the time, you got a good team. You got a good team. Good team. <laughs> I'm starting to think that the mesh network that you created in and around our house may need to have a zero trust network attached. Oh, yeah. It's time for me to start upgrading some firmware on that one for sure. Yeah, we're going to have to lock that down. Let's lock it down. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening today. Please continue to listen and subscribe. You could always find us on Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. You could find us on Instagram at Techie and the Blonde or ask us any questions or suggest topics we should discuss at techieandtheblonde at gmail.com. And our new and exciting website has launched, techieandtheblonde.com. You can find tons of content and pictures, everything discussed on the episodes. Thanks again. Whoa, whoa, whoa.